0: I guess the only advice, the real advice I should give people is watch Wealthion.
1: Welcome, I'm Adam Taggart, founder of Wealthion. I'm recording this video at the end of December, 2021. And I've got to say, it's been a heck of a year, folks. Since this YouTube channel launched in April, I've recorded over 100 videos with the top experts in economics, investing, and personal finance. I've had an absolute blast and learned a tremendous amount, as I hope you have too, if you've been a regular watcher of this channel. Each one of these interviews has provided a valuable piece to the larger puzzle that, when assembled, provides us with a clearer and more holistic picture of the investment landscape we're dealing with today. This, of course, is the core reason why we created Wealthion in the first place, to tap into the brain trust of the world's top experts on money in the markets and to use their wisdom to help us be better wealth builders. Okay, so here at the end of 2021, what are the top learnings from this year's interviews that will most serve regular investors like you and me as we enter 2022? Glad you asked. I've compiled a series of short clips here that are my top takeaways from the over 100 videos released on this channel this year. But very quickly, before I start showing them to you, I just want to let you know I have two important announcements about Aeon for next year that you're going to want to hear. So be sure to stick around at the end of the video. Oh, and while I'm at it, please take a second to support this channel by hitting the like button and then clicking the subscribe button below as well as that little bell icon right next to it. All right, back to the year's top takeaways. Let's dive right in. Probably the largest economic development of 2021 has been the rise of inflation. The consumer price index began the year at only 1.4%. It's now at 6.8%, the highest in 40 years, and it appears to still be rising. Today's hot inflation is a direct result of the tens of trillions of dollars worth of both monetary and fiscal stimulus that have been issued by world central banks and legislatures since the COVID pandemic broke out in 2020. It's also been made worse by input shortages resulting from supply chain disruptions caused by lockdowns and other ripple effects as governments have struggled to deal with the virus. So the key question investors are asking themselves today is, will inflation get worse are better in 2022. On the supply supply chain side alone, macro analyst Wolf Richter sees the shortages persisting well into next year and potentially beyond.
0: Yeah, I I think this will drag well into 2022, maybe longer uh, as far as the automakers is concerned. I think there will be particular issues that will
1: drag into 23. And now that consumers have developed an inflationary mindset, where they expect prices to go higher still, so they're more likely to make tomorrow's purchases today, that exacerbates the issue, making it really thorny to resolve.
0: This is going to be a very tough job uh, for, for, the, for the country, really. I mean, that's what I mean by this is going to be a bitch. Uh, yeah, this is, this is going to be hard to do because the thing that the Fed will have to do is uh, to break the inflationary mindset. And it has to credibly come forward and say we're going to raise rates, and we're going to run off our balance sheet uh, until uh, we get this inflation down. And the way you get inflation down is to uh, to reduce demand, and reduce demand far enough to where everybody realizes, okay, I can't raise my prices anymore because people aren't buying anymore. You know, I have to stop raising prices, and uh, and. People have to refuse to buy at higher prices, yeah. You know, so, uh, you have to make it more expensive to purchase on credit, you have to sap the confidence of businesses and uh individuals in 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 this inflationary trend. You know, the, the people, businesses, and consumers have to believe that next year things are going to be no more expensive than this year or maybe cheaper, and I better. I better step back and better not buy, you know, better not consume. And that's what brings inflation down. But this is a bitch. You know, this is hard to do because uh, you're looking at a recession.
1: So until and unless the Fed gets tough enough to break the consumer's inflationary mindset, Wolf sees high inflation as being persistent from here.
0: Inflation is going to keep going higher. <laughs> you know, it may not go to 12 percent. It may be eventually go to 5 percent and then it'll be back at 7 percent and it'll fluctuate. And uh, and if it completely goes haywire, it could go double digits. But until that that inflationary mindset is broken, inflation will not seriously go away. It just can't.
1: Saxo Bank chief investment officer Steen Jacobson agrees with Wolf, predicting inflation will be even higher in 2022 than it was in 2021. But more than that, Steen sees 2022 as a pivotal turning point, where the ability of the central planners to keep the system functioning starts to fail. If I'm
2: honestly, brutally honest, I think 22 is is this is going to be the single biggest macro change year in history. From a from a point of view that we are the end of the road of everything. You know, quantitative easing doesn't work anymore. It's political uh, uh, untenable because. It plays to the risk people, basically, in the narrative of the of the left. Um, the ability of Fed to produce electricity zero. Uh, the ability of the political spectrum in the U.S. to do anything in a midterm election, nada, yeah. zero. So we are left at the destiny of a market with 90 percent government control. But that 90 percent
1: government control is just going to get things worse. Money manager Michael Pento underscores this with his observation that the trillions of dollars in stimulus that have driven financial asset prices ever higher for the past decade are now turning off. Can the market sustain today's prices without them?
3: So you have the biggest fiscal cliff coming, the biggest monetary cliff coming, and that's why I think the chances are for this, the, the greatest bubble in the history of bubbles, which is the US bond and stock market is going to most likely implode next year.
1: And Pento is far from the only one who thinks there's high potential for a major market correction in 2022. Fund manager John Hussman concludes the market is in the biggest speculative price bubble in modern history and calculates they would have to correct by 70% to return to fair value
3: you would have to have valuations about 70% below where they are right now, in order for stocks to be at levels
1: that have historically been consistent with historically normal equity returns of about 10%. And so so when you look at that that curve, what you're really seeing there is, is not so much a projection, but a relationship. It's a relationship between current valuations starting valuations and subsequent returns. Now, the level that we're at historically would normally be associated with expected returns of about 6% negative annually over a decade. Legendary investor Jim Rogers, who has seen more market cycles than most people alive today, expects the next correction to be the most severe one he's
0: ever seen. But Adam, I know, This is going to end very, very, very badly. To repeat, the better it gets, the worse it's going to get when it comes to an end. I would suspect that when it ends, we're going to have the worst bear market in my lifetime.
1: And not to be outdone, trend forecaster David Hunter predicts the next bust will be the worst in history.
3: Not only am I calling for a bust, I'm saying the potential is there because of the leverage I mentioned. The potential is there for this to be the largest global financial um, crisis in history. Just the size of the leverage on the system and the missteps that I think could happen here uh, or the fragility that could lead to things unwinding quickly,
1: we could have something bigger than 2008-9. For those wondering just what David means by all this, he breaks things down here. I would say I think the odds are that this bust is contained
3: pretty much within like a 12-month period. And I'm talking about from a standpoint of the statistical bust, the negative GDP part of the bust, um, and the the involuntary liquidation cycle. I think most of that will be kind of within a 12 to 18-month time frame, probably closer to 12. You know, the market, the bear market, I think, will be faster than 2008-9, and particularly the the bulk of it. That In 2008-9, the biggest part of the bear market, even though it started in 2007 or topped in 2007, the, the bulk of the bear market was, you know, October or late September 2008 to March of 2009. So using that as kind of the bulk of a bear market, I think this one could happen faster than that. Um so you know uh, peak to trough, you could be down eighty percent, and you could have it happen in you know six to nine months' time frame
1: now, I admit these warnings of a historic crash sound dire, and we need to keep in mind that no one has a crystal ball. no one knows exactly what 's going to happen in the future, but when this many smart, successful investors are this worried well. That sends a pretty strong signal that the status quo may indeed change soon and that the smart investor should start preparing for that now. As macro analyst Grant Williams puts it, there's a high cost for waiting too long to take action.
4: And the world is changing by the day on every facet. Put inflation aside. It's changing politically. Right. Society is changing. There, there are so many changes happening right now. Um, on every level of this three-dimensional chess game that we play every day, that you'd be crazy to miss that. And so it just means you can't just wake up every morning and assume today's going to be like yesterday. Because very slowly and very subtly, all our todays have been very different to our yesterdays for quite some time now around the fringes. And gradually that's becoming more and more apparent to more and more investors. And they're doing something with their capital. They're making decisions, they're making adjustments, they're making changes to their portfolio. And eventually, the fact that today is constantly different to yesterday dawns on enough people that you get this sudden shift and everybody tries to get on the other side of the boat. And that's, that's the thing you want to avoid. You want to make those decisions before that kind of, um, that, that occurs to, to the majority of investors. Okay, so what changes
1: exactly do we need to prepare for and how should we prepare for them? Well, for one, as we've already discussed, it sure looks like a continued rise in the cost of living is ahead of us. But that doesn't necessarily mean raging inflation. And here's where things get a little confusing for most people. As economist Lacey Hunt has explained at length on this program, the forces of deflation have not been vanquished and indeed may likely win out in the long run barring a deliberate sacrifice of the currency by the central banks. So we're stuck in this era of cross-currents, which will force us to pay attention and remain nimble as investors. As George Gammon says, we have to keep our minds open to the full realm of possibilities here.
5: The scary thing though there, Adam, is, is deflation in asset prices while we have consumer price inflation. Exactly. So your yeah, stock I- portfolio is down by 50%, but your groceries are up by 50%. Oh. main takeaway there, I think for the viewer, is you have to understand that we're dealing with complex issues. It's not black and white. <clears> and you have to also understand we're dealing with cross currents that are at play at all times. So it's not whether we're going to have uh, you a know, stock market crash or the stock market boom or whatever. It, it's these forces are at play constantly like these tectonic plates. And we just have to figure out which one has the most power at any given time. And I think that's the, the prudent way to think through this regardless of what the viewer's conclusion is.
1: Grant Williams agrees and stresses that the old era of go long and buy the dip is now over and risk management is now suddenly much
4: more important. There is no simple answer to this, you know, and, and it's funny when you have these conversations with people, they, they want to kind of skip to the end and ask for the recommendations. What should I do? What stock should I buy? What, what's going to make me money in this environment? And it just isn't that easy. It, it's, it's been pretty easy over these last number of years because of all the things we talked about, the Fed put, the liquidity, the one-way direction of equity markets, the one-way direction of bond markets. It's been pretty easy, right? But when you get to these inflection points and you say, okay, suddenly you know, everything's going to change, the Fed are going to be looking to taper, Rates are going to want to go up. Inflation is going to take over from deflation. Leverage is going to become problematic. There isn't a simple answer. There just isn't. As much as I'd love to give one to everybody, I wish I had a simple answer for myself. And that's where this, this the importance of risk management comes in. Because the, the risk that you've been having to deal with has been, as it turns out, pretty low over these last uh, few years. So the amount of risk management you've had to do has also been pretty low. As the risks escalate, risk management goes up. And that's when people need help. In this kind of
1: environment of heightened uncertainty, building cash reserves is prudent, advises analyst Jim Rickards. I think cash, like normal cash, has a role. Uh, People
2: underestimate the embedded optionality. Uh, In other words, if you have cash and things fall apart, you can pivot. If you're in uh, private equity, for example, good luck getting your money back from Henry Kravitz. Great great firm, but they're not going to give you your money back. So people, they don't sell what they want. They sell what they can. Um, But if you have cash, you're the person who can look around. You can pivot quickly. You can go shopping in the wreckage. Uh, So that that, you know, basically it's not the money call on every asset class in the world that that's valuable and people underestimate the value of the optionality. Number one, number two, it reduces the volatility of the rest of your portfolio. So if you have stock, gold, real estate and so forth, you sleep a little better at night. That's it's the opposite of leverage, in other words. So,
1: um, yeah, I recommend some cash, maybe a big slug, maybe 30 percent. Rickards also highly stresses the valuable protection proper diversification can offer a portfolio in volatile markets.
2: Yeah, I hate to state the obvious, but sometimes the obvious is not so obvious, so I don't mind. Uh, The key is diversification, and everyone says, oh, of course, diversification. Actually, there's good, you know, kind of empirical proof behind that. But the problem is people don't understand diversification. I run into people that go, oh, I'm highly diversified. I got 50 stocks in 10 different sectors. I got technology and consumer non-durables and all this. And I look at them and say, you're not diversified. You may have 50 stocks in 10 sectors, but you have one asset class. And that asset class has a conditional correlation in financial distress, they'll all go down together. Um, so real diversification, you yeah, have a slice of stocks by all means, have some land, have some real estate. Um, I like that. I recommend a big slug of cash, 30% for the reasons i mentioned. Um have some alternatives um gotta be very selective and some of the good funds aren't open but there's there's room for that um a lot of my portfolio is not in publicly traded equities it's in some technology startups you know risky but uh i find them very interesting um and and uh gold and i, I recommend a 10 percent slice for gold i recommend physical gold because if you don't have it in safe storage you don't actually own it most of what people call gold is paper gold their, their etfs are right. gold futures etc um and, you know, people love to put words in your mouth like, You're Americans to sell everything and buy gold, but never said that. I don't think it's the end of the world, but I do think 10% is the right slice. But if you have that portfolio, 10% gold, 30% cash, you know, 10, 20% real estate, 20% equities, you know, I'm not doing the math in my head. I don't want to go past hundred, but the point is that's, uh, that's, that's real. That's real diversification with much lower correlation,
1: even in distress. To build off of Jim's advice there, I recently shared a condensed list with George Gammon of the consensus thinking from most of the experts I've interviewed, trying to create useful action steps for investors. Um, And I'm just going to list a couple of what I consider to be sort of best practices, um, having talked with a a bunch of smart people. And if you want to add anything to this, George, I think the audience would be really appreciative of that. Um, Again, this was taken from Grant's interview last week. The assets that have benefited most up until now, are highly likely not to be the ones that are going to benefit going forward. So you know, expect to see sort of a change in regime in terms of which asset classes are going to be outperforming. Um, you and I spent a lot of time talking about inflation, and uh, uh, you know, from an economic standpoint at least, you you gotta you gotta figure out how to protect against it. And you and I were talking about finding um, investments that give a yield. And ideally given inflation adjusting yield and that can be income producing real estate, it can be tips, it can be deep value uh, stocks that are priced reasonably that issue dividends, uh, it even can be T-bills. Um, uh, hard assets, obviously things that have intrinsic value that can't be inflated away. Um, Commodity is a huge part of that and you know, you mentioned gold and silver and some people would throw crypto in there as ways to sort of protect against dollar devaluation. I feel much more confident opining about the, the precious metals and the cryptos because I understand them a lot more. And the cryptos, so much speculation has gone into that place. They might be very good um, protectors against dollar devaluation, but but maybe only if you get in at a more rational price than they are today. And I don't know what fair value is for those. So I'm not going to tread too much in there. Um, I think, too, you need to, to have some positioning against a market crash. And we talked about the importance of the optionality of cash, even though it hurts to hold it in an inflationary environment before a market correction happens. Um, Hedging is super important uh, in terms of risk management. And most people might be somewhat familiar with the term, but very few people are practiced in actually deploying it. And this is where a a professional advisor can be super helpful in looking at your portfolio and in using hedges as insurance, the same way that you put in fire insurance on your house to protect you in the unlikely event that it burns down. And then last in that bucket, volatility. Volatility right now is about the only asset out there right now that is negatively correlated with the markets. Everything else is trading in tandem, and uh, volatility can give you some really powerful protection. You don't need a lot of it in your portfolio um, to give you that, that protection. Um, yeah, I,
5: in fact, I, I actually invested in one of Chris Cole's
1: funds. Okay. And for folks that don't know Chris Cole, he runs Artemis Capital. Yeah, that's
5: a long vol fund. Yeah,
1: it's a long volatility fund. Yeah, very very smart guy too, by the way. So that's mostly the rest. The the list. I also talked there about the rotation from growth into value, but you've already talked about that a bit here. Is there anything else that you would add to that list?
5: Yeah, because I think people need to get their uh, their mental state in order, and they need to have like a, a a psychological game plan, and that you know going into a tough year, if we see that that's the hardest thing to manage it's not your portfolio but it's your own emotions
1: i'll wrap up here with concluding thoughts from grant williams who emphasizes that for all the reasons discussed here 2022 will be a year that investors have to assume active responsibility for their future prospects for many this will mean finding the right guide to chart a safe
4: path through the coming turbulence so you are going to need to either do a lot of reading and understand what happened in the sixties and seventies and post-war and, and other periods, twenties and thirties and figure out for yourself what the new risks you might face are, or you need to find managers who understand them and really understand. Them, right. Um, and you, and you don't just pick a manager. You talk to them and you ask them to explain to you what happened, what are the risks we face? You know, th- this is, it's so important. And yet, People want the soundbite. People want the, okay, so I I understand the last hour. What stock should I buy? And I'm afraid we're beyond that point. We're beyond that point where I can tell you to buy Apple calls or sell Tesla puts or it's just not that simple anymore. And the the sooner people realize that, the more chance they've got of avoiding this this choppy water between deflation and inflation and being caught in the wrong side of it when, when this takes off.
1: Okay, I know I promised you two big announcements, so let's get right into them now. Announcement number one is extremely relevant to the point that Grant Williams just made. Wealthion has added another officially endorsed financial advisor to its roster. Lance Roberts, who has appeared on this channel before, He and his team at RIA Advisors will now offer free consultations as well as full advisory services to any members of the wealthy On audience looking to protect and build their wealth through 2022 and beyond. You'll see Lance join in with John and Mike from New Harbor Financial, who regular viewers see with me on this program every week. And as as always, if you want to set up a free, no-strings-attached consultation with one of these endorsed Wealtheon financial advisors, just go fill out the short form at Wealtheon.com and we'll connect you with the one that best fits your needs. And moving on to announcement number two, what better way to leverage the Wealtheon brain trust of experts than to spend an entire day with them next month? Wealtheon is hosting its next online conference on Saturday, January 22nd. It'll be an all-day affair with an unbeatable lineup of speakers you won't find anywhere else. So far, we've secured Jim Grant, Lacey Hunt, Luke Grohman, Stephanie Pomboy, Danielle DiMartino Booth, Brent Johnson, Rick Rule, Tavi Costa of Crescat Capital, Ivy Zellman, Jeff Clark, and still others more. There'll be presentations, interviews, and live audience Q&A with the speakers. And don't worry if you can't make the event live on the 22nd, replay videos of the entire experience will be sent afterwards to everyone who registers. Folks, I am insanely excited about this. And given all of the uncertainty 2022 holds as we've just detailed in this whole video, the insights this event will offer will be near priceless to investors like you and me looking to protect and build our wealth will open registration to the general public at a discounted early bird price on January 1st. If you're watching this video after that date, a link to register will be provided in the description of the video below. And if you're watching beforehand and would like to be alerted when registration opens, just send us an email at info I really look forward to seeing you at the event in January. In the meantime, don't forget to support this channel by hitting the like button below As well, make sure to enjoy the rest of your holidays and have a happy, wonderful, safe new year. Thanks for watching.